Welcome to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to be a community of believers proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through worship, discipleship, and service. Our prayer is that you are transformed by the Word of God in the following message. And we trust you are using this podcast as a supplement to your participation in a gospel church near you. Let's now hear what God has for us. So we turn for a second week in a row our attention to the book of wisdom in the Old Testament, although there are many, but intensely so, the book of Proverbs. Our text today comes from verses 8 through 19 of Proverbs 1, but I'm going to begin by reading at the beginning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Let's pray. Most generous and gracious God, you are the source of all wisdom and you are the fount of all satisfaction. Lord, we pray that in this moment that you would tune our attention and our affections to your words. I pray, Lord, that my words would be much in keeping with this book, with this text. Lord, I pray that you would save some here from the destruction that our, their own hearts lead them on, from the destruction that the voices of others may lead them toward. I pray that we would see in Christ all wisdom and that he would be our hope for this kind of life. We pray these things in his name. Amen. No doubt you've probably seen some of the funniest commercials on TV for insurance, namely progressive insurance. Where, where basically 
the line is, you don't want to be like your parents, and they are amongst the funniest commercials out there. Uh, I mean, and, and sometimes I, I have to question and wonder if, if I'm becoming that uh, kind of parent. I guess you can leave it to my kids to answer, answer that. But the assumption with that commercial um, is uncanny. It, it, it's, it basically says that parents are laughable, outdated, and if not just foolish examples of how to live. Our era, as was mentioned last week, is one of much information, yet a woeful shortage of wisdom. There's a difference between wisdom and information. Just because you got information doesn't mean that you got wisdom. And it doesn't mean that parents are, all parents are laughably outdated. In fact, our, our wise person writing this, Solomon, perhaps after a life of living, got to see life in a way that helped him guide his sons, helped him guide his daughters. If he took the words of the book of Deuteronomy that tell parents that you shall teach these things, the voice of Moses tells parents to teach their children, here we have the fleshing out of a parent teaching their children, teaching their child. I believe our text here, particularly in verses 8 through 19, simply teach us this, that you must resist corrupt influences by following parental wisdom. Resist corrupt influences by following parental wisdom. Now, I, I think this text presents two voices on how to make life work, because at the end of the day, you just want to live your life and you want life to work for you. We're all that pragmatic enough. So there's the first, there's the voice of the proverbial or the ideal parent in verses 8 and 9, and the other voice you get from peers in verses 10 through 19. Really, the whole text is a parent talking to their child, but in a sense, there's a moment, perhaps the half of this text, where the parent takes on the voice of peers. So verses 8 through 9, we see the voice of parental wisdom. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. This passage teases out the relationships in wisdom, the relationship of wisdom. It is a covenantal context uh, of instruction to a, to a student. It's imparting to learn. Parents being the one who impart instruction and children in the position of learning. The word here that you have for hear is the same word for hear in Deuteronomy 6.4, that great text on Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Shema, that is hear, Shema, my son, your father's instruction. It is more than just hearing that sounds hit your, your ears and do whatever our ears do to produce information that is intelligible to our brains that, that we process. It is not just the gathering of information, and it's more than just listening. The kind of hearing that we have here is one of Obedience. It's 
Say it that way. Obey, my son, your father's instruction. This is certainly within the context of relationships, but it's in the context of the law where the fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. A parent was to teach their children how to respect and obey them. A parent was to teach their children how to relate to God, specifically God, in the first four commandments. No other gods, no idols, honor the Lord's day, honor the Lord's reputation. And then the parents were also supposed to teach their children how to relate to others. This is the task of parenting. And this is the task of the child is to honor your father and your mother. And while father and mother in our text here can be literal parents, in the context of wisdom, this speaks of the ideal couple, the ideal voice of wisdom. The content of wisdom we see in verse 8, your father's instruction and your mother's teaching. So in that word teaching, you have that's the, the word for Torah. It's not talking about the five books of Moses per se, but the kind of teaching that leads to wisdom. The context is one of, can I use a big word, catechesis. This is what it is. From, from the beginning, the ancient Israelites are instructed by God. Parents are instructed by God to catechize their children in the ways of God, in the law of God. A Christian parent is expected to instruct their child on how to love God and how to love one's neighbor. And here you go. Here you have a live example downloaded for you into the pages of Scripture on how a parent can instruct their children on loving God and loving neighbor. So you have the relationships of wisdom. What is the content of wisdom? In verse 9, shows us the adornment of wisdom. For they, what is the they? The father's instruction and the mother's teaching. They are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, a garland is, is something like a crown. It would have been a green wreath. Now, don't think of Christmas garland necessarily, but a, but a green kind of wreath that was a, a decor for special occasions. And obviously, pendants refers to jewelry. Jewelry is a metaphor for reward. It's expensive, and it's desirable. And the parent is saying here, here's the catch, Junior. If you want a reward, if you want the kind of adornment that is expensive and durable and desirable, you got to listen to us. This is what you want. Trust me, kid. You want this kind of life. Garland on a head is a symbol of honor. Pendants around the neck symbolize life. And these aren't just merely future rewards to look forward to. In fact, he's saying, he's saying that the law and the instruction are the adornment. These are things that you can have now, that you can wear now and display now. It's extremely practical. It's not something that you, uh, you have to wait for, per se. You, young person, can be adorned with honor and life now by heeding the voice 
of parental wisdom. Later on in Proverbs, as the Proverbs start to kind of splinter into different pieces of advice, starting in chapter 10, chapter 10 starts that section of of the book of Proverbs by saying, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. And when we consider all the cast of characters in the Bible, certainly, certainly you see a lot of people who shamed their parents. Their parents couldn't be proud, and some could. But for the most part, by the time you get to the Old Testament, you kind of get gassed out and you're thinking, man, there is just not a lot of people here who, who are honoring wise advice. We're not living that out. Which begs for somebody wiser. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, was a wise son. He was an obedient son to Joseph and to Mary, Joseph being his stepfather and Mary his biological mother. But Jesus was the wise son who, while on his time on earth, he paid attention to his heavenly father. The son of God in human flesh paid attention and listened to the voice of the heavenly father. And how often do you get sayings where Jesus says, I have not come to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus of Nazareth was was dead set on going through with the voice of God, his father, of listening to him. That was the only voice that mattered to Jesus. It was the only audience that he sought to please. And if we are related to Jesus, you know what Jesus does? Jesus puts wisdom within reach for all of us. But you gotta listen to him. You gotta listen to his father. You gotta be related to Jesus' father. And when you are, wisdom will be in reach. It won't be something that you are chasing. It won't be something that is ever elusive, that you can never acquire. You can ask for it, and it can be given to you. Let him who lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God doesn't just like give out little squirrely portions. God is a very liberal God. He, do, he, he will dose it out. He will keep it out. If he did it for Solomon, who was the wisest man on earth, why wouldn't he do it for all his daughters and sons in Christ? But you have to be related to Jesus in order to have wisdom in reach. Now, you might be asking, well, what if I didn't grow up in a Christian home? What if you didn't have two parents? Or maybe you grew up in a two-parent household, but the counsel in that household was less than wise. Does this somehow just fly over your head? Is this not applicable? Is there no hope for you because you didn't have two parents? Well, remember, the parents being portrayed here are not necessarily literal, physical, biological parents but the ideal spiritual parents. So I would say for those especially who maybe you're waking up and seeing that maybe your parents weren't all they were cracked up to be as you looked at them growing up. That tends to happen when you become an adult. That doesn't mean you should dishonor your parents or reject them. I would say to you, seek adults, Christian adults, whom you can see and observe with your own eyes. Talk with mature 
Christian adults who you can listen to with your own ears. Did you hear that? With your own eyes, with your own ears. That means that a relationship must be, in a sense, incarnate. It must be fleshy. It must be physical and tangible. It must be able to. You can point to a person. You can walk up to that person. You can hear the tone of their voice, and you can look them in the eyes. This is the person that you need to seek. And as you consider life beyond high school and college and your young adult years, you know, life is not going to slow down. I've been finding that out recently. It just doesn't let up. But maybe there's a day coming when, as you grow in your career, your ability to make money, to influence the economy or influence other people, maybe there's a day coming when you're actually offered a better-paying job or a change of scenery. And I ask you this question, regardless of your upbringing, would you do so with a heavy consideration on who your next spiritual parents and family may be? You see, what we sometimes do is we go chase the money, we go chase the opportunity, thinking that, oh, indeed, God is at work because it's a good deal. It's a good package. It bumps me up. And now I can make more money. Why? To give to people and eat. Yeah, of course. That may be entirely true. But what if at the, what, what if at the uh, uh, behind the, the carrot that's dangling in front of you is little spiritual influence, little uh, few people, if any, that you could call spiritual family? This begs for us to to really stop, to pause, and say, before I make a move somewhere, for whatever reason, will I have a potential spiritual family there? Would you take a job in another city without considering what churches are going to be there? Would that be one of your primary considerations, or will that just be something you tend to later? Parents and future parents, are you laboring now to raise wise children? I'm not talking about just keeping your kids off the streets and off of drugs and all the things that most parents would not want their children to be involved in. But are you laboring to raise wise kids? Now, you may entrust your children to a school eight hours a day, but how, and I'm preaching to myself here, (laughs) How are you doing? How am I doing in saving some mental and emotional energy to teach them wisdom? Don't just teach your kids how to resist the world. You know, bad, bad, bad. Everything is bad in the world. Watch out. I I guarantee you, if that's your parenting strategy, that your, your kids will sniff that out, and they'll be looking for exactly what you're warning them against. In other words... Wise parenting or parenting children towards wisdom means show them the rewards of a wise life. Make it tangible. Again, you need a community for this, a community like a church. Honestly, in your house, make the heroes of your home farmers. We have people here from the Midwest. Farmers. People who who labor hard and have to wait a long time for results, or make the heroes of your home missionaries. Not to say that I want my child to grow up and be a farmer. 
or a missionary, or you fill in the blank. But look at those examples of people who are leading wise lives and hold them up. Maybe instead of having all the posters that we would typically put up in our rooms or around our house, maybe we should just put up a picture of our favorite farmer or a, or a missionary of the past, or perhaps even our own missionaries here at Addison. But you get the picture. Labor to raise children towards wisdom. Now, wisdom not only teaches what's right and the rewards for such living, but also wisdom warns us about what's outside the bond, the bounds of true wisdom. And here in our text, the parents are trying to dissuade their child from even getting attracted to the majority, or can I say to the mob. And here in verses 10 through 19, we see or hear the second voice. He says, my son, and this could be daughters as well, okay? my son, my daughter, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Sinners? So what do you mean? Everyone's a sinner, right? That's what our, you know, that's everyone does bad. So everyone's a sinner. Does that mean I am encouraging my child to, like, avoid everybody? No, that is not what that means. It is talking about uh, that kind of sinner who is, in, who is egregiously and intentionally trying to oppose God, who is trying to resist the law of God, people who don't have good intentions. They say, these parents say to their child, do not consent. This is not merely the banner slogan of a bygone era where it says, just say no to drugs. This is not what we're talking about. But to say no to anything that would be corrupting. Maybe it's like 1 Corinthians 15.33 that says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. So yes, you do have to avoid. Yes, you do have to stay away from certain kinds of people, certain voices. You may hear their voices, right? But you will not obey or follow their voices. See, there's a contrast going here. The, 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 the contrast between tried and true, trusted voice of a parent versus the voices of peers, the only thing in common this proverbial daughter or son has with this kind of people is age, not wisdom. These people, verse 11, are impulsive and vicious. It says, if they say, come with us, here's the voice. Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. The the voice of wayward peers is one that is impulsive and vicious. So you may not have friends who are, who are looking to be the next uh, highlight on somebody's uh, ring uh, video cam. Now that I have that on my phone, I mean, I'm getting commercials all the time for people who are doing bad things. And it's almost like, uh, it's almost addictive to watch uh, what people are doing on a, on a, on a video camera uh, at night. Uh, so, it, but it's impulsive. It, there's not a lot of thought to it. And at times it's vicious. See, the point here is that the voice of wayward peers or these kinds of people are people 
who are out to exploit the vulnerable and the innocent, those who aren't paying attention. And there's plenty of times when we don't pay attention where we are vulnerable and innocent. They're impulsive and they're vicious. They will go as far as taking a life. But also in verse 12, it suggests that wayward peers are hell-bent consumers. Like Sheol, which is the grave, could be the grave, it could be hell. But the point is, is it it's the afterlife? Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. The Bible says that the eyes of a man are never full. Later in the New Testament, it talks about people whose God is their belly. These are people who lead their lives and are led by appetites. And people who live life by appetite, by desires, are people who are often um, impulsive and people who are out of control and who, who could do some damage, whether they intend to or not, is beside the point. They're hell-bent consumers. You know what's interesting about this word for swallow in verse uh, 12? Let us swallow them alive. It's the exact same word that talks about the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. What happened to them? They were engulfed. They, the, the Red Sea swallowed them. And that is what, it, that is what this is saying, that these people, they don't, they, they don't necessarily, I wouldn't say have a conscience, but they are just bent on getting, getting, and getting at whatever cost. They are hell-bent consumers. And I say hell-bent in the most sacred way possible because of the word pit and the sheol there. Appetite. Thanks to Guns and Roses, they have an appetite for destruction. That is these guys. These people. Oh, but it gets worse. See, they also promise a counterfeit community. Verse 13. We shall find precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. And you could just circle how many times we and us is in these four verses. We, we, we. And then verse 14, throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. There's a promise of a community for sure. And maybe you think, maybe your mind when you hear this goes to the, the blighted parts of our own city where it seems like recidivism in regard to prison sentences and gang culture and gang life just keeps turning out this. What does the gang promise? The gang promises the father you never had. The brothers that you don't have. And so we, we can be like, yeah, that's a shame in our inner city cultures that, you know, there's that kind of counterfeit community. But, my friends, I don't think you need to be uh, live on the west side or the south side or up near Rogers Park or where, where gang activity is most prevalent uh, to, to understand that there's got to be a certain kind of excitement to be accepted into a group. Don't we all understand that? A sense of belonging. 
Boy, now when I've been accepted into something, into a society, into a group, into some kind of online tribe, that feels good. And so then I'm actually more disposed, perhaps, to give myself to that group. In modern times, we actually call this, so if we're not talking about like inner-city gang culture, uh, we do this as sophisticated urbanites. It's what we call the herd mentality or groupthink. We, we, what we do, we, we tend to, in a sense, be intimidated by or swept up in uh, the, the common voices of the day. Like if the majority is saying it or the majority is doing it, then there must be some wisdom to that because everybody is doing it. Everybody's saying it. And I, I, I don't want to stand out as, a, as, a, as an opponent. I don't want to be oppositional or anti-institutional. Or maybe that is the line. Maybe to be anti-institutional, anti-authority is the group think. And I think that's the nerve. Because at the heart of, of the herd mentality and groupthink and tribalism is actually a, an, an anti-authority mindset. It's ultimately against God. So I ask you, how influenceable or how influenced are you? Where do you get your information from? Because information feeds, is a feeder to wisdom. I mean, it's not, nothing wrong with reading the news and, and getting information in the various ways that we do uh, as, as modern people. No problems with that. Thank God for, in his providence, for the different channels that we can get information. That's the thing, as Pastor Eric mentioned last week, there's an abundance of information at our fingertips, but very little wisdom to show for it. I ask you, where do you get your information from? And after you've answered that question, how are you handling it? Are you able to handle it? See, with all the information that we have, we can easily get into a community, an online community. And so many of us live our lives online, which isn't necessarily a problem. But when we start identifying with people that we can't see, that we can't necessarily hear, that we can't touch, that we can't be with, we run the risk of subjecting ourselves and submitting to and following a counterfeit community. And that's exactly what is promised here. They promise an equal payout. Yeah, right. We're going to all have one purse. Let me know when that works out, if that has ever worked out. They are downright greedy. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. These people are greedy. And the, if we were to narrow down the problem of this passage, it's this. It's unjust gain. Or if I could say it this way, it's illicit gain. That's the target sin, in a sense, that it boils down to, as verse 18 will say. I mean, these cats aren't working legally. They're not looking for gainful employment. In other words, here's a point. There's a way of making a profit financially. There's a way of making a profit by, circum by circumventing service to others. 
There, there are all kinds of ways to make a living, but that bypass to actually doing good to other people. So I think as you consider careers or the impact of your current career, you should think of, is this actually being a positive influence and making a difference on people? Is it serving? Is my paycheck actually a symbol of the good that others are gaining as a result of my work? And it's the same mindset that seeks to get pleasure without responsibility. Profit without service, pleasure without responsibility. I want to ask you, how are you doing on this? And it's at this point where I'm gathering about 90% of us probably haven't yet mobbed a Michigan Avenue store recently or you haven't participated in a carjacking. Maybe you've not um, been at a party and violated someone. The list could go on. Maybe that's not you. Maybe that you're thinking like, oh yeah, like I, I'd never hurt somebody like that. I'd never steal something like that. But here's the thing that gets all of us. It is, the, it is the desire to be an overnight success. It is get-rich schemes. Part of our human nature is we want. We want, and we want now. And when you read the Bible and see what the Bible is portraying as the just life, just and fair profitability, good pleasures. It is not come by quickly. So friends, be, over, be aware of becoming an overnight success. And if I were the parent telling you, I'd say, if, if, it, if it sounds like you're going to get it fast, don't, don't go for it. Don't do it. Fill in the blank here. I can make more money by doing now, our image bearers in the blighted areas of Chicago would say, man, if I go and work at Best Buy for $15 an hour, I'd barely pay my bills. But if I, get, if I can hustle the streets, man, that's super lucrative. Okay, for those of you who struggle with, with that, that's certainly legitimate. Maybe I can make more money by being part of financial programs that enslave the poor. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about how your employment actually might actually uh, oppress less fortunate people? Maybe you can make more money by putting your body in a private online showroom. Well, I have to pay the bills, so this is private. Hardly anyone knows. I could do that. Or maybe something that comes a little closer to home for many of us. I can make, I can make money by the lottery. I mean, they say that, you know, the, you know, 65% of the proceeds of the lottery go to, to, to feed education, right? Not necessarily so. Often, the people buying lottery tickets are people who themselves think that they can get rich quick and are often coming from communities where they don't have a lot of income. So I don't know about the lottery. How about gambling? 
You say, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go out and kill somebody. I wouldn't go thieving. But do you spend your money at risk? I'm not saying here that it's wrong to invest in the stock market. I think we have an apple and an orange. But right now, I warn all of us, just like, for instance, pornography is, is in, in the privacy of your poem, so is gambling. And you can, without telling anybody, you can lose money by betting. And you have to ask yourself, is this the right way to get money? I'm not talking about the office party and fantasy football. You throw your money in and the winner gets that. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about the ways that you risk God's resources entrusted to you. I would caution that, especially our college students, because more and more, DraftKings and all these people, these companies, are actually now targeting college students, as if FAFSA wasn't your enemy already. <laughs> okay, FAFSA or you know, your, your college loans, plus pocket gambling? Don't do it. Wise up. Don't waste your money, the very little money that you have. Friends, ultimately, the plans of these wayward peers are self-destructive. Look at verses 17 and 18. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. Yeah, like if you're a hunter, they're called fowlers, right? Bird hunters. Uh, if you're, you don't just go and set up your trap in the presence of, you know, the bear, the deer, the bird. Hey, guys, I'm here to catch you. No, no, you do this incognito. You do this in a way that they can't see, that they are easily trapped. But see, here's the, here's the point that Solomon is trying to teach his kid. It's that your plans to belittle, to hurt others, will ultimately come back upon you. And notice how verse 18 mirrors verse 11. See what, remember what verse 11 says? Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush. Now look at verse 18. Sorry, yes, verse 18. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. You might think you get away with it, but ultimately it's damaging to you. Proverbs 10, verse 2. Treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Proverbs 15, 27. Whoever is greedy for unjust gain troubles his own household. But he who hates a bribe, he who hates bribes will live. Don't call 1-800s, I've got a gambling problem. Because all these sins will have an effect on somebody else. How many times are therapists and counselors have people in their office with a gambling problem, not because it's their own problem, but now they have actually threatened the livelihood of their own families. You trouble your own household. When you set your mind on exploiting others, you become your own ultimate victim. You'll eventually lose your own soul. As one commentator put it, the sting is in the tail. That scorpion sting is coming right at yourself. It's a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And I'm not talking about you going out and jumping somebody and stealing a car. I'm talking about the other little things that we can just multiply and multiply here. 
But here's the foil. Here's the good news. Not that I've completely um, stomped on your toes. Let me give you a foil. I believe here in our text, well, I believe that there are two interdependent spiritual fruit or virtues to help us correct what is a greedy mentality or chasing profit or pleasure that is either immoral or unjust. First, I want you to chase contentment. Chase contentment. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. In other words, yo, it's better to go without something than to get it illegally or immorally. Yes, be content with not having, if it's the car, if it's the, I mean, if it's the gold on, around your neck or on your chain, those, those aren't the kinds of graceful garlands and pendants that you want. How about this? But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Point being, food and clothing is a a hendiades, one through two. It's the idea of having what I need, having the shelter, the the roof over my head, the things to sustain my body, my daily bread, my nightly roof. With these we will be content. How about this? Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For he, that is the Lord, has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Do you believe that? Could you live your life free from the love of money? Might I encourage you to chase contentment you say, what does that mean? Like, how do I do that? Okay, well, I mean, for, for one, I would memorize scriptures on contentment. Or maybe I just gave you a few verses. Why don't you memorize those? Get those mullen in your noggin and on your tongue every day. Maybe you'll see, maybe pray about those. How about reading some books on contentment? There are two good ones. One by Jeremiah Burroughs called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, or a modern knockoff of that, very readable, called Chasing Contentment by uh, a friend of mine, Eric Raymond. Both are good books on the virtue of contentment. It will really challenge you and give you much hope for this. That's the first virtue, chase contentment. The second virtue is grow generosity. Grow generosity. Why grow generosity, Will? Here's why. Because generosity kills greed. You struggle with the love of money? Then... It's, budgeting is not going to solve it for you. Giving away will. How about this? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. One of the reasons why you work is not just to pay your bills, but it's also to provide for people who, who literally and really can't. You mean to tell me that the Christian ethic is one that I work to supply for my needs and my family's needs. That's your first line of, of people who are in need, obviously. But other people, yes. So friends, I want to encourage you, get a skill. 
Develop a skill. Work hard. Learn to work. Work work a real job for minimum wage pay. Start, Start from the bottom. Listen to that advice. Start from $12 an hour as a fresh out of school nurse and then work your way up. Learn how to stay put in a job for a while. We're all so discontent that if our, if our boss frowns at us, we're like, oh, it might be time to leave. Well, somebody yelled at me. I'm not used to people yelling at me. Well, my friends, this is life. And you need to learn to stay put in those. You will gain wisdom by staying put in a, lo- in, in a job and in a location. Learn to deny yourself and learn to give yourself. You may not have a lot of money to give right now, but learn to give yourself away. How about this? Whoever works works his land will have plenty of bread. This is a proverb. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So go out. Get the bacon. Get the bread. And your greatest hope for living a life of generosity and contentment as a foil to the kind of parable that we have here of these greedy greedy people, these greedy influencers, is our Lord Jesus Christ himself, who in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus Christ, listen to this, Jesus Christ lived and died a thief's Our text here is talking about thievery, robbery, unjust gain. Jesus Christ was mocked and put on display as a thief. Everyone passing by had to assume whoever that guy in the middle was. Yeah, they they did something wrong, so they deserved that. Jesus Christ lived and died a thief's death. Why? To reverse the inevitable plight of foolish people like you and like me. We who steal in our minds. We who covet We who envy, Jesus died for foolish people like us. Jesus died to help you reverse that and gain footing so that you don't, so that you aren't greedy, so that you aren't always taking, taking, taking. But the very giver of life in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he builds in you the ability then more and more to give and to give and to give. Though he was God, Jesus lived in submission to his Father. He obeyed his voice. He gave life to others. And yet the giver of all life got his life taken for nothing. And remember, he died amongst thieves. He was substituted for a murderer. So in our passage here today, the extremes of greed, murder, and and thievery, our Lord Jesus died for A murderer, accused of being a liar, a thief. And you may not be somebody who necessarily buys into the Bible and these things that I've been talking about. But I would encourage you to resist the corrupting influences of this life and the ones that you have within you by coming to Jesus Christ. That is the only way that you will be able 
to reverse all the self-inflicted wounds of a greedy, thieving, jealous, murderous, hateful, bribery type of life. If you come to Jesus, friend, by, by faith, repenting of your sins, you'll become his daughter or his son by faith. You know what he does? Jesus Christ leads many sons and daughters to glory. You will have the reward by following the wise one. You say, how do I get this? John 1, 12. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. If you are not on the side of Jesus, if Jesus is not your wisdom, the Bible is not your book for living, then you need to receive this today. Do not leave here foolishly without Jesus. Avoid the, dead, the, the disastrous end of the majority. Jesus himself said, enter the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and easy is the way that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Go against the flow. Go against the majority. Go with the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. You can resist the impulses of greed by tending to the grace of God's wisdom in Christ. And I ask you today, as you leave today, I ask, whose voice are you following? Jesus's or this culture's? Pray. Lord, spare us from ourselves, all the corrupting influences within us alone are, 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 are able to damn us to eternity in hell. let alone all the influences and the pressures of this world and the voices screaming for our attention and our allegiance. Oh, Lord, would you refresh us by your spirit of grace? We thank you for Jesus who has put wisdom, true wisdom within reach by his Holy Spirit of wisdom who dwells within each true believer. We thank you. And we pray, Lord, that each of us who have felt some measure of conviction today, Lord, would find even greater hope and the grace of the gospel, and the healing, that we can become generous and we can live more contented lives because of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Addison Street Community Church Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by God's word. And for more info, for joining us for a worship service, for taking your next steps with us, please visit ASCCChicago.org.